0: Hello and welcome to another episode of A Wee Bit Of Everything with your hosts, Lewis and Clark. Each time we have the honour of interviewing an athlete, the questions are going to be shaped around the Scottish Physical Education School curriculum. This allows us to get an insight into how athletes gather information on their skills and fitness levels. It will also reveal how they would plan a period of training to develop their areas of development. First hand we'll get a personal insight into how the mental, emotional, physical and social factors impact
1: their performance and how they manage these factors. This week on the podcast we're delighted to welcome Dan Nash who is an experienced marathon runner with a personal best of only 2 hours and 18 minutes. Something myself and Lewis could only wish. Dan finished 2nd and 4th at Brighton Marathon in 2018 and then Subsequently, 2019. Dan also holds the world 50 kilometre bronze medal and is also the British 50 kilometre record holder. On a more sort of educational uh, standpoint, he's got a Bachelor's Science Biomedical Science degree. He's also got a Master's Certificate in Exercise Physiology. Moreover, He's also a PhD candidate in exercise physiology and he's also an exercise physiologist with Welsh Athletics and Welsh Triathlon. This guy has a plethora of experience both in the running world and educational world. So I think, you know, it's about time we get him onto the show. Welcome to A Wee Bit of Everything, Dan. How are you doing? How's things?
2: Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I'm good. Nice to be here. Um, it sounds like a, yeah, a really exciting podcast. A bit different. I've not done one like this before. So, yeah, looking forward to it.
1: Yeah, I'm sure you'll do well. Um, uh, thanks. If it's, any, if it's anything to go by your running, your running experiences, then I'm sure you'll do really well. <laughs> um, yes. Well, th- thanks for coming on today to share your experiences and running. I'm sure you've got many stories to tell, uh, which will help the listeners. And I'm sure it will help myself and Lewis as avid runners as well um so before we get into it could you give us and the listeners a little more background information on your running experience so far and a little bit about how you fell into the sport
2: has only really touched on your most recent accomplishments in the introduction yeah sure um so i've i've always been into sport my parents were really really active they both ran and cycled and um, when i was a when i was younger i uh I did a little, yeah, loads of different sports. None of, none of the team sports. So I was rubbish at them. No, no hand-eye coordination, I don't think. But, um, uh, I used to um cycle cross. So I was really into that. And I'd do some time trials on my bike. Um, I'd do some mountain biking. I'd do a bit of cycle touring. I played squash and tennis. Um, but I, I think I probably always identified as a runner, really. That's the sport I'd, I've always done. And probably, um, uh, yeah, just always thought was my main sport, really. So then... When I was about 16, that's sort of when I started concentrating on running exclusively. thought, I, I'll give this a proper go. And then, yeah, I've just uh, stuck at it ever since. Ten years of proper training now, really. And um, I've mm-hmm. sort of gravitated towards the longer distances, and that seems to have had the, the most success. Um, but, yeah, that's how I got into it. So
1: is there any, has there been any teachers or anyone that's inspired you along the way from, from kind of running at 16-year-old? Was there anyone that helped you?
2: Uh so like I said, my parents had like, got me into running. Um I think yeah. I, I literally can't remember a time when I, I haven't run. Um but yeah, I um I went to um a small club in, in Cornwall which was called East Cornwall Harriers and that's where I had my first coach and where I first got introduced to more formal training, I guess, compared to running. Uh and then I've had yeah, had a couple more coaches along the way that helped guide me. But um yeah, I don't think there's anyone who's particularly inspired me but guided more much more um yeah advised and guided me um along the way
1: well that leads us nicely into my next kind of of question about you having a coach and them guiding you and you know taking you through your training schedule so before you start training for a race um is there any information that you would gather uh, to inform your training schedule for the race with the for example the route um, maybe previous results on the course or your fitness levels would you do any fitness tests
2: yeah so um i normally yeah i, I sort of work backwards i start with where where do i want to get to like, what event am i targeting is it a marathon is it a half marathon a 5k what have you and then um okay what times i want to go for because actually most of the time uh the races i'm competing at are pretty controlled environments if it's on the track it's you know a set distance conditions are probably going to be pretty predictable. Um, again for for a marathon, um, they tend to happen in in um, either the winter or in the, um, in the in the spring. so you know conditions are probably going to be reasonable. Uh, so it's more like what time do I want to run? And then um, from that, it's working backwards to where, actually where am I now? What do I need to work on? Do I need a bit more speed for the event I'm going to focus on? Do I need some more endurance? Or is it more race-specific stuff? Have I got? Is my speed pretty good and my basic endurance pretty good? And I need the do I need the specifics? That's that's probably what I'm looking at. But also, then it's um is it a stepping stone to another race? So is it yeah. trying to get a a qualifying time for a championships, or is it okay? I need to I want to improve my five k time so that actually um it's going to help me for the ten k or a half marathon in a few weeks. So, that's all sort of the things I consider really. It's mostly. Where am I at, and where do I want to get to? What do I need to do to to get there? Yeah, it's important
1: to have that end goal, isn't it? Um, is it? Is it just endurance and speed that you would be focusing on to get a good marathon time, or is there other aspects of fitness?
2: Yeah, so that's quite basically. That's that's a very basic level. That's um, that's what it is. I mean, I've um, I'm doing a PhD in in exercise physiology, and I'm lucky to get some support from from Welsh Athletics, so I can go into the physiology labs there and i can um, I can go through testing and i, I I've, the the main predictors of endurance performance across all events is uh basically your, your vo 2 max how 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 much oxygen can you use to um, release energy from aerobic metabolism um, so that 's like you how big is your engine and then you 've hmm. got um, your economy, so how much energy do you need to run at a given pace uh, and then you know, the, the other thing is is how wh- what percentage of your vhc max can you sustain so that's sort of talking about your lactate thresholds and your lactate turn points so how how much um you obviously you can't sustain your your 5k time indefinitely how big of a drop-off is there so they the sort of things i'm looking at um yeah on, on a if i can get into the lab obviously i haven't been able to do that recently with covid and all that but if i in an dr- ideal world if i was going to um know where I'm at I'd be in the lab and if I wanted to know about another athlete I'd get them in the lab and look at their their numbers so yeah like then you can get into a bit more detail but for most people it's just actually it is much more simple how good your endurance how good your speed and look at your, your time your times at different distances and you can sort of compare across them
0: yeah I've read that you can see see from your like kind of VO two max, you can there's like you can do there's a table there's a guy that's created a formula, isn't it? And then you can from basically your five k time, your PB, you can predict like other race times based on what you can do at five k. And I don't how accurate do you think those race predictors are?
2: Uh, So you're talking about the the Jack Daniels tables, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, Um, that's that's the one. Yeah, and I think um, I think they're quite a good guide. You know, if you can. If you can hit that 5K time, then it's probably going to predict your 10K time, which is on on the next um, in the next column, pretty pretty well. But if, actually, if you do have, if for example, your your 5K time is good, but actually it doesn't compare to your 10K time, then it shows you actually that your your, your maybe your VO2 max is pretty good, but actually your your sustainability isn't as good, so you need to do mm-hmm. more of that endurance type work. Um, in terms of the actual numbers it gives you. I mean, um, it's probably ballpark right. Just like the uh, the Garmin watches give you a number, don't they? And that's probably mm-hmm. ballpark right. But it's not going to be um, it's not going to be that spot on. But actually, it probably doesn't need to be. I mean, yeah, if your VO two max is seventy five or eighty, like probably doesn't make all that much difference in the grand scheme of things. It's more about actually, who cares if your VO two max is eighty if you can run a, you know, if you can qualify for the Olympics? Doesn't mm-hmm. doesn't, doesn't matter. Yeah, it really. Doesn't
0: matter. Different ways of going about that.
2: How um, how much
0: emphasis then do you place on kind of other aspects of fitness? So, see, for example, like like your flexibility and balance, strength work, and all that. How much do you set aside to focus on that? Would that just be like a maybe like a, a second session during during the week or something like that? Or
2: yeah. So uh, from like when I first got um, my like physiology tests, um, basically, what came out for me was that my VO two max is really good. My mm-hmm. thresholds are quite good, but my economy's pretty average and it gets worse as I start running faster. So for me, um, concentrating on the economy was something that I, I wanted to really work on. That's something I've done a lot more of in the last, well, in the build up to this marathon, I've been doing a lot more and uh, things that are really good for the economy are sort of doing like the drills and doing the hopping um, and mm-hmm. skipping things that are going to make you more bouncy and reactive off the ground and the strength work as well. Like if you've got, um, you want to have strong calves that are going to be able to, share the load basically if you've got a stronger calf then you're not going to stress the muscle quite so much and that's going to help your economy as well so i've been doing i've been um doing some of the yeah, some of the strength work and then doing drills and hopping twice a week mm-hmm. if i can but yeah, the other so thing really- is like you don't want it to take away from your training so actually yeah. you can't go and do heavy squats for example or deadlifts in the middle of a, a marathon block because um your legs are just going to be tired and that's going to take away from your quality runs. So you sort of want to, mm. for me, I periodize it so that I, earlier on in the training block, I'll do more strength work. And then actually, as I'm getting close to race day, I'll, I'll probably just do some maintenance stuff and probably won't do any heavy lifts. Yeah, um, so
1: you are a big fan of the Jobax workouts and lockdown. Not much of that, no. <laughs> not much of <idea laughs> that, yeah. them a go. <laughs> a bit more uh, specific training, for all yeah. I can imagine, for your... Well, your to be thing. honest, I,
2: I, um, if it was up to me, I wouldn't do any, because I find it boring, and I would just go and run. Yeah. But uh, I found mm-hmm. through yeah, yeah. trial and error that um, if I don't do <laughs> calf raises, my Achilles will start hurting, and if I don't do yeah. hamstring bridges, then my hamstrings will start hurting, so...
0: Yeah, that's what I seem to—that's what I seem to get on my my right Achilles. I seem to get like the kind of tendonitis side. Is that what it's when you're when it it, it gets inflamed?
2: Yeah, sure. It's that why it, it just
0: it yeah. seems to be from overuse?
2: Yeah, I think it, yeah. I mean, it's it's just exceeding the the quality of the tissue. I mean, um, uh, you could say it's overuse, or maybe it's just your Achilles isn't strong enough. You know, it's mm-hmm. um hasn't got enough strength to cope with the um the load you're putting through it. Can, um, can I be yeah. selfish
0: and ask a, a personal question then about that? So yeah, see with re- with regards to kinda training with that sort of niggle, how would you what would be the best way to kinda prevent prevent like it from getting worse? Or is it like calf raises? I've heard about the, the negative reps, so you can, uh, what's the word I'm looking at like not, yeah,
2: eccentric. E- eccentric, um, eccentric, yeah. eccentric,
0: yeah, yeah. So yeah. step up with the opposite foot and then drop down with the the weakened yeah. one.
2: Um, Sorry. Yeah, for, for a more preventative aspects, yeah, you want to be doing um, doing calf raises. Um, you probably it, it the actual which if it it probably doesn't matter if it's eccentric or concentric. Actually, just doing a normal calf raise and not just mm-hmm. worrying about the the um, concent- eccentric bit. I would just mm-hmm. do a normal calf raise. Yeah. And um, the I all all the evidence suggests that actually you want to go heavy. So tendons like high load. So you want to do like between eight and 10 reps at like three or four sets. And then, um, there's sort of two ways of loading. You've got, you've got two main muscles in your calf. You've got your gastrocnemius and your, your soleus. And actually if you do straight leg calf raises, you're, you're, you're targeting the gastrocnemius more, but actually, uh, the main muscle of the calf that you were using running is the soleus. And for that, you want to be doing like, um, bent knee calf raises so for example you could be sat on a uh, sat on a chair with um a weight on your knee and then just lifting your your um knee up and down if you make yeah. sense yeah yeah, yeah. Actually, if you do both of them together that's that's quite good and the same you want to be doing as high reps um no sorry low reps high weight mm-hmm. and it's hard to do outside of a gym environment but if, you, uh-huh. if you've got access to a gym then there's there are machines you can do it on
0: so it's just something. You, how many times? So that's just something you can just factor in a few times a week. Then I take it.
2: Yeah, just probably stay. two or three. Two or three times a week is is probably good. Yeah. And like, if you've actually got, got inflammation at the minute, then obviously you want to be icing it. No, and no it, I'm um, Yeah, yeah, stuff like that. But yeah, the, the last injury. I had, with, you go? No,
1: <laughs> the last, the last injury I had was was on my soleus as well. I was doing a. An accumulator challenge for you to run for this, you to run the miles for the date from one all the way through to thirty. I don't know if you've heard about it.
2: Oh no, I haven't. I got, that I got, sounds got, horrible. Yeah.
1: I got to day twenty, and it was my solace I could tell just at the top mm. of the calf, isn't it? Just, mm. just below the hamstring. Yeah. Um, but it was just neglecting the the strength side of it, I suppose, and not
2: doing the exercises I should have, and just overloading it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. Just craziness. So you uh, said you said you're training for a race. How? Is it eight
2: weeks I saw on Twitter? Six weeks out. So it's it's I'm doing yeah. London Marathon now is is four four weeks on on Sunday just gone. It oh, was it. So uh yeah inside inside four weeks now. Oh.
1: So big training this weekend. Big
2: run. Yeah, I did. Um, I did. I did thirty miles on Monday. Um, over two runs. So I've been doing lots of miles. Um, good. Yeah. Um, lots of training. Lots of training. Big weeks. Yes. Yeah.
0: It's only yeah. the, the elite race that's going ahead, isn't it? Like
2: there's no, nothing else. Yes, there's only, um, I think it's 45 men, 45 women or, or something uh-huh. close to that. And it's uh, 19 laps of St. James's Park. Wow. Is um, it? Yeah.
0: Oh, is that quite a flat course then? It... Yes, yeah, so
2: it's pancake flat. Oh, is it? Yeah, really flat, but it's going to be pretty boring. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, there's, um, yeah, there's a good chance, well, I will be lapped multiple times. So uh, that'll make it interesting <laughs> as well.
1: Wow. Do you, do you think you'll, well, you're on target for breaking your PB or is that not something you're thinking about just now?
2: Yeah, training's going really well. I've been definitely thinking I'm in PB shape. I, I seem to, okay. I, I tend to repeat the same uh, sessions in every build-up and, um, yeah, I've been running faster than I ever have before. So, yeah, I hope good PB. You
0: watch out for it then, see if you get it. Yeah.
2: yeah well, we'll it. I think my aim's just not to come last, to be honest. <laughs>
0: Right, so could you, so can I moving on to like your different kind of phases of training, so see when you're first planning a phase of training for a big race, what would a, a sort of week's training look like for you then, just kind of in simple terms?
2: Yeah, so normally I'm I'm doing uh, two hard sessions a week, and all the rest will just be easy running. Um, my heart rate for that, my heart rate will be under like one through five, I'll be feeling really comfortable. And then, yeah, earlier on in the block, I'm probably, if I'm training for a marathon, I'm going to look at more speed stuff because for me, I find that really hard. I'm not very quick and uh, I'm not very powerful. So I, I tend to focus on the, the shorter stuff first, get that good. And then as, as the training progresses, I'll extend it. Um, so instead of doing like 20 times 200, I might eventually move that all the way up to 10 times a mile or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, normally, you know, in a starting block, Two hard sessions, um, so that might be Tuesday, Friday, or something. Probably an easy long run, and then yeah, all the rest easy, uh, and a couple of gym sessions as well. That's what I'd, yeah. I'd, what it would look like.
0: How how long is a period of training out from a race? then? is it like is it like a twelve week stint, or is it longer than that?
2: Uh, well, I'm always I'm always running, but You're, like when yeah, yeah. I'm getting when I'm getting specific, I'm probably thinking yeah, like t- ten weeks out, I'm starting to think about like getting proper ready for this specific race mm-hmm. after a marathon i have a reset period so i'll probably have a week or two off um but yeah if i'm getting ready for a marathon um ideally i'd, I'd yeah build up and then the like the last like six to six weeks out or something like that is, is when you're getting really specific and doing okay lots of stuff at marathon pace and uh, mm-hmm. or if yeah, it was 5k i'd be doing lots of stuff at 5k pace yeah
1: and, and dan see see where your long run that you do once a week. What's the minimal distance you would always at least get in? Like you need to, you feel as if you have to do twenty miles. No, not as far uh, as it that. Depe-
2: it depends. i I mean, for the, for the marathon, how I, I tend to do it when I'm I um I'll start off um building the volume. So wherever I'm currently at, it might be sixteen miles to start with. But I'll keep it really easy. So I will do sixteen miles easy, and then maybe I'll push it up to eighteen, twenty. And I mm-hmm. tend to always go over at least 26 miles easy, maybe a bit further, but right. once I've done, once I've got up to that, I'll, I'll reduce it down slightly. So I might only do 22 miles, but I'll make it quicker. Mm-hmm. So in, until actually it's no longer an easy pace, it's actually just a few seconds per mile slower than the marathon pace. So if like, in this build up, I've done, I did a 24 mile at, um, at like 5.30 a mile pace, which is a bit slower than the marathon pace for me. Um, um, I'll probably do. I'll probably do. Well, I've got one more long run to do, and I hope to do like a 22 miles at a bit quicker again. Um, it's like 520 a mile or something like that. Um, wow. But I, I, I'm
0: am curious. What's 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 easy pace?
2: Just uh, depends how I feel, but normally between like six fastest I'll go is like 620 a mile, and slowest probably like 720, 710 a mile. Right. Like the day after a hard session, I'll probably do more like sevens. But if it's I'm a bit fresher then yeah six six forty is probably average yeah
0: wow easy pace one can only dream it <laughs> see so see if you do like a quality session so like a really intense session can you get because i know like the kind of doms and stuff can sometimes set in two days later like would you sometimes do like a back-to-back intense session and then an easy session or would you like space it out more than that if that makes sense
2: i, I always have at least two easy days between a, se- a, a session because like you said, I think actually you often get hit by the, 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 the fatigue two days after, don't you? So I'd normally yeah. go like Tuesday, Friday or um, Wednesday, Saturday as hard sessions. Um, I haven't, I don't do, I don't, yeah, I've never done back to back like, yeah, Tuesday, Wednesday, but sometimes what I will do is I'll do um, a, a reasonably hard session in the morning, then a reasonably, and then a hard session in the evening. Um, right, so on on Monday I did I warmed up and I did 13 miles um, at 5.30s and then cooled down Then in the evening I warmed up and did 10 miles at 5.15s and then cooled down again um, wow. so then I can make a, you make that a really hard day but then um, make sure you go really easy the next few days I think if you're yeah. going hard consecutive days then I think you're risking injury and um, yeah. It's going, to, it's going to take away from the quality. You're not going to be able to do the quality work if you're already tired of getting into it. I think mm-hmm. if you're doing a, like, an ultra marathon, then maybe that's a good idea because you can't, say you're training mm-hmm. for a 100k or a 24 hour race, you can't just go, okay, I'll run for 12 hours today because that was just going to leave yeah. like,
1: you. Yeah. You need not get used to training the tired legs? Yeah, that's a bit different, I
0: think. Oh, that's interesting. Right, so um, you kind of spoke a little bit on running economy, and that was you said that's the amount of energy you need to use to go at a given pace. So how, how much do you do you kind of focus on that? Then is that been like something you've worked on with a coach? Is that been like a big part of your kind of running development? Because I've only recently learned a bit more about it and the kind of the importance of it. And what I thought was really interesting, and we touched on this on a, on an earlier podcast with uh um a girl called steph stephanie davis and she's obviously a marathon runner as well and she runs at a very very impressive time and she was talking we were talking about it how you are if for example you have a better vo2 max than me but i have a better running economy i can run at the same speed or there or thereabouts. so i didn't realize that was it was as important so i was just kind of curious to see how how much emphasis you put on that
2: yeah so economy is is really important um uh like um, I've tested loads of athletes and the economy is one of the biggest factors, but the economy and the thresholds, I mean, um, like, yeah, I've, I've, my VO2 max, uh, the best I've had it measured is, is 80. And that's enough to be world-class. Um, but my economy is only like, it's always good, but it's like, uh, it's, but, um, so you, you normally measure it in milliliters of oxygen um, that you need to run a kilometer at. Uh, and the ballpark, like mine, is two hundred. Um, for reference, yeah, mine is two hundred. Um, the best ever record is probably like one sixty, uh, mm-hmm. and then a really bad would probably be like two fifty. So yeah. I'm sort of like, you know, good, all right, but not amazing. But that's enough to make a massive difference over the course of a marathon or any race, to be honest. Um, so yeah, if you've got, it's sort of like you, you need a high enough VO two max to be in the game. Um, you can't, you're not going to be world-class if your VT max is 40, but once it's above 75, then actually economy is much more important. And, um, yeah, as I said, mine's not great. So I've been trying to work on that and I've done yet, yeah, like doing the, um, it's mostly to do with like the Achilles tendon, like we were talking earlier and actually because that holds energy, it stretches and um, releases energy. Um, when we, when we run. So when we hit the, when, when your foot hits the ground, your Achilles stretches, then uh, as your, your foot comes off, it's the, the Achilles is going to shorten and uh, act like a spring. So it's basically free energy that you're, you're getting using your Achilles. So mm-hmm. most of the things that are going to, most of the interventions that are going to help improve your economy are um, things that are going to help the calf. So having good calf strength um, and then also being able to be reactive with the ground. So that when you hit the ground, your calf um, uh is is stiff and you're going to bounce off nicely so i've been doing lots of strength training for my or specifically for my calf but then looking at more of the the bounciness to so doing lots of hops and lots of skipping and things like that which are going to force you to be bouncy off the ground uh, are really really good so i'll I've I've, i'm a bit annoyed because i've been working loads on this i want to and now i want to measure it in the lab to see if it's got any better but mm-hmm. i can't because of covid but uh so yeah, how do you been, measure it so you measure it by um, uh, measuring how much oxygen they're consuming. So you, you put a, a face mask on uh, and you can measure how much oxygen um, they're using to run at a given pace. Um, so normally you'd, you'd run it at like a, a range of different speeds and see what's happening to our economy across different speeds. Um, but yeah, how much oxygen you need um, to run basically. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you need some fancy yeah. kit, unfortunately. Yeah. Would so you I'm ever not... do
1: like video analysis? Sorry, Sorry I missed that. Would you ever do any video analysis with your um, coach to, to look at your technique?
2: So I'm self-coached, so uh I um I I don't do so much of that. Um, I feel like, yeah, technique is important. Um, but I think I've been running too long to make massive changes. Now it's too mm. ingrained. Um. Uh, and my technique is not amazing, but at the same time, it's not it's not awful. Um, it's probably It's efficient enough. I think and actually you, you tend to find that Over um, people adapt a technique that is efficient for them and economical for them mm. um, and the more you run the more um, More ingrained that will become and actually the better you the, the more economical you will become um, mm. But yeah, I am um, I don't do too much on, on technique apart from trying to be a bit more, yeah, bouncy and reactive yeah. on the ground.
0: So I guess if you are calves and stuff like that become fatigued and during a race and you start slouching, that's when you start to become less efficient and use more oxygen. Is that right in saying that? Yeah,
2: yeah, exactly. That's the thing. Being economical when you're fresh isn't the same as being economical when you're tired. Huh. So actually, as, you're, um, um, as you get into the race, you are going to become less economical, and that's when probably your core is going to come into it if you can hold yeah. a good posture um, then you're mm-hmm. going to be more economical, not slouching. Um, yeah. So, yeah, there's lots of. That's the thing. It's like it's, um, there's, there's, yeah, there's just, lots of you, different factors that affect your economy, as not just.
0: Yeah, um, I I just I just thought running was just running at one point, and then it, there's actually so much to it that you can break it down for forever and get into the real nitty gritty of it. It's it's really interesting, actually. I right, think so, today,
2: I'm a massive nerd, so. Uh, yeah. <laughs>
0: Well, that's what you're into. You, you kinda, that's what you're studying as well. So it's something you're clearly passionate about, which is great. Right, so you kinda spoke there about the physical prep side of your training, Dan. So as a marathon runner and from our own running experiences, I feel this is probably the hardest part, but nutrition is just as important for successful performance as the kind of training side of it, especially when obviously you're working towards a race time at, at that level. So when it comes to nutrition for you, we're aware that kinda everybody's unique with what works for them. Can you tell us how you approach this key element of your training?
2: Yeah, I think nutrition for a marathon is, is sort of two parts, really. It's um, it's the nutrition to support the training that you're doing, but then you've also got the nutrition on, on race day itself. Um, uh, for me, um, during the training, which I talk about that to start with, it's, it's more about um, actually making sure I've got enough carbohydrates um, to restock my glycogen stores and have that energy available for doing the the quality sessions. Um, So I'm running twice a day most days. Actually, it's really hard to keep your glycogen levels up, especially if you're going to do any quality running. So always making sure I've got enough carbohydrates coming in. And then if I'm going to do a a hard session or a long session the next day, then I'm especially ensuring I'm, I'm eating enough carbohydrates um and then just generally a good diet so you're getting your 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 fruit and veg to sup- have the, um, the vitamins and minerals that are going to help support your immune system and recovery and stuff mm-hmm. um so that's sort of about like the training part and then racing like only yeah, unlike like 5ks 10ks for, for a marathon like nutrition becomes really important um and the maximum amount of like you want to take on much more as much cover carb- carbohydrate as you can um, to, uh, make, mean, uh, to make sure that you use that instead of your, your glycogen in your muscles. So hopefully you're going to spare that. You're not going to hit the wall at the end uh, of the marathon um, and you, you're going to yeah, make sure you, you stay on top of your fueling. But actually um, you're sort of limited to how much carbohydrate you can take on. The max is about 90 grams of carbohydrate an hour um, because your gut struggles to absorb it. So you sort of want to do some practice about in training. So I, um, on my uh, final long runs before the race, I'll practice taking on drinks every couple of miles with, with carbohydrates trying to improve that ability to absorb your carbohydrates. So come race day, I'm going to be able to take on as much as I can. And I'm not going to have any like gastric problems either. Um, so yeah, it's really important that the um, nutrition.
0: And so, when you speak about glycogen, that's is that like the kind of most readily available? Well, I know it's kind of, is it not ATP that's the most readily available for like sprinting and stuff like that? But for working at like the intensity of a a marathon, is it a combination between oxygen and glycogen? I guess.
2: Yeah, so you're using the oxygen to um, break down the glycogen to then produce right. ATP.
0: Um,
2: right, okay. And actually, like at a marathon intensity, you'll use a bit of fat, um, but probably mostly carbs to to fuel your 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 effort um, whereas actually for 10k for the 5k it's going to be almost exclusively carbohydrate. Yeah. Um, and you would not eat
0: anything during a half marathon you would just
2: No, would I don't eat? I don't tend to. I'm um I'm quite good at running without fueling and actually when I talk about those easy runs that I did in the start of the build up I might go and do 26 miles at an easy intensity. I often don't have breakfast because actually I'm just I, I'm quite good at just running having not fueled um, and it's easy comfortable I don't need to wait and sit to digest something so um,
1: mm-hmm.
2: yeah
1: Should you do a lot of training in the morning before your work or before staying?
2: Yeah so I tend to um, I, if I can I'll do my, my main session of the day in the morning and then do a an easy session in the evening um, and if I'm doing something a bit harder I might have I might eat something like, small I might have like a piece of toast or something but if it's only a
1: small session, then I definitely won't eat anything. Uh, so the the podcast uh, listeners, uh, you know, a lot of people listen to it. There's teachers, pupils uh, in the schools, um, and part of the, the PE curriculum is uh, is about the cycle of analysis. So basically each people goes through a personal development programme, like a six-week training programme, um, which I'm sure you'll be aware of as well with your own training. So a big part of that cycle of analysis is evaluating and evaluating the, the the training sessions. So, do you ever evaluate your training sessions, and how would you kind of perform that, or how would you make sure that you're you're maintaining your performance levels?
2: Yeah, I probably over evaluate my training sessions. If anything, <laughs> I um I love the numbers. I, I I measure my heart rate on every on every run. Um, but yeah, I definitely monitor as I'm going along. I I'm always, especially um the the high intensity sessions of the track sessions or the long runs that I'm doing. Um, and it is really it gives you some really useful information. So if I if a if a track session went well for example, I'm going, okay, great, I can just keep maintaining, keep doing what I'm doing, the plans working. But if I have a bad track session, then you need to start thinking, oh why was that? Like um if it were the um was it because actually the conditions just weren't very good, so in which case like uh, you're fine, or is it because you're getting tired? um and then if it's tired like uh, um, is it just acute tiredness do I just need to have an easy day and actually by, by the next session I'll be fine or is it more long term am I starting to dig myself a bit of a hole and actually I'm just uh the last two weeks three weeks actually all the sessions are getting a bit worse in which case then um I probably need to back off for a bit longer and take a more prolonged recovery period but it's also like I said earlier it's actually if my long runs are going well I and mean, then my endurance is good, but my track sessions that are faster, aren't going well, then it tells you what you need to work on as well. So it's always yeah. a, a reference point of of where uh, where you're at. And uh, how would you record that?
1: How would you record your evaluations? Do you just make notes or?
2: Yeah, so I tend to um, I write out a um, a training plan in in Excel and then I will. Um, I will. I'm amend it, amend it constantly. So actually, if I had a bad session and I need to add in an extra recovery day, then I'll do that. Probably, I'll just make notes or an asterisk next to um, next to the day and say, "Oh, I've felt like this. May, uh, I'll, I'm going to add an extra recovery day." Or yep. um, you know, I've, I I had a a bit of a calf niggle. I need to make sure that I keep an eye on that and um, yeah, do the rehab or or whatever.
1: So you're a big believer in listening to your body? Or do you sometimes push yourself
2: past it and then it goes yeah, away? I think um, it's, that's something I've got better at as I've got older. I think listening to your body more instead of just religiously sticking to the plan. Um, yeah. yeah. I think and that's one of the hard things about being self-coached is actually you don't, want to, you don't want to rest and take it easy. You want to just do what's in the plan, uh, especially when you're operating at an elite level. You don't want to say, oh, I'm not – everyone's really motivated. You don't want to take a day off. Uh, taking a day off is like oh I could have been training that day. Um, it ruins your, uh, It just ruins your plan. You're not going to hit your mileage for a week. Um, mm-hmm. But actually, it is really important. And actually, if you can listen to your body and actually really get in tune with it, then you you will be a much more uh, you'll be a better athlete. But your your career will last a lot longer as well. It won't be a, it'll be much more sustainable. Brilliant. That's great advice.
1: Um, so as you probably experienced as well, the there are several factors that can impact your performance when you running a marathon or an ultramarathon or 5k, 10k. I want to ask you about the, the physical factor and more importantly, kind of the fitness element of it. So one of the physical fitness sub-factors in the PE curriculum in Scotland is muscular endurance. How important would you say muscular endurance is for a successful marathon performance? And have you had any positive or negative experiences along the way?
2: Yeah, I think um, um, muscular endurance is is um, is really important because, like, um, for example, you can have a great five k runner um, and they're really fit, they're running with really fast times, but they actually haven't got the endurance to last for a marathon, and they don't convert very well. And um, I think one of the uh, a good story is I um I went cycle touring when I was when I was around eighteen. I went cycle touring and I cy- I was doing crazy miles and going. I, I was cycling hundred miles a day. I was going around the black sea. So I was, um, camping, I literally did no walking, just, just cycled, um, no running at all. Um, and I was obviously really fit, but then my first run after cycling for a month, um, my muscles were horrific. Um, I could, I was fit. Um, and I was getting, but like the next day I had m- loads of muscle soreness. Um, so I just didn't, didn't have that muscular endurance specific for, for running. Um, so yeah, it is really important. And that's um, just a part of the um, the, the conditioning aspects for training. That's why yeah, I'm doing the long runs to make sure that actually my muscles are going to be still working fine at mile 20. I'm not going to be cramping up. Um, and actually I can just use all the fitness I have to, to last the distance. And it's so it's so, so so really good for other sports. Like if you've got good muscular endurance, then actually at the ninetieth minute of a football game, you're still going to be going strong. The same for a rugby. Um, yeah. So it's really um, transferable. So have you had any negative impacts on the performance
1: towards the end of a race? Have you? Has it always been plain sailing.
2: Oh, definitely not. No, I've um, I've um, I think the first, my first marathon I did um. I shouldn't have run really because I'd uh, I was training had going, been going really well, but then uh, I got ill. Um, I didn't run really for four weeks, but decided I was still going to do the marathon, and uh, it was going to be my first marathon and my dad's last marathon. And anyway, I was uh, 18 miles. I was going great, um, on for like a 220 or something. Uh, on it, but by 18 and a half miles, I I, I was suddenly I'd hit the wall. I, I was um, I was in an absolute state. It was just like that instantly. And I told myself I'd get to mile 20, and then um, then I'd pull out. But I got to mile 20, and it was the Manchester Marathon, and there was, there was nothing there. It was, just, it was it was in the middle of a it was just a lane in the middle of nowhere. So I had to keep going because I'd if I'd pulled out, I'd have a long walk. I'd have a long walk home, so I might as well run instead of uh, instead of walk. But um, it was the the worst last six miles of my life. It was horrific. So see
1: for the people listening who don't have an idea of what, what hitting the wall is, I know people will say it. How did that feel?
2: Oh, it's 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 really funny because um you you're, you're, your your legs just don't feel like they're yours anymore. You you're um you <laughs> you you're breathing really hard, but you're going really slowly. You've slowed down massively. And the effort you're putting in to go so slowly is just um it's it's quite weird. It's sort of a it's like you, disjointed. You can't match up your perception with the reality of what's going on. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And then, and, and get... then
1: what about the mentality? It feels as like if you can, you can't push yourself, don't you? It gets tougher.
2: Oh yeah, it's um, just, just to um, a mile feels like ten miles when you've um, when you've hit that point, and there's there's no coming back. Unfortunately, you have either gotta suffer through or um, just pull out.
0: Um, So On your goals No I was going to say It it certainly takes Cuts to To push yourself That much In a In a long distance Race like that Like it's a feeling That a lot of people Won't actually ever
1: experience And it's It it sucks To put it bluntly (laughs) Yeah Yeah, It's pretty grim Me and Lewis Ran The West Island Way Back in March 2017 (laughs) And then We signed up To do the Edinburgh Marathon As well um, In 2017 So this was like Twelve, maybe like March, March. So it was like two months later we were doing the marathon. We hadn't really trained the whole two months. Like, we've done ninety-three miles. We'll be able to. We'll be fine. We won't need to train anymore. That's us. And we got to do so, mile eighteen in the marathon. We had to, had to start walking a miles, jogging a mile and stuff like that. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> it's, it's, so yeah. it's bad. It's bad. Came in a bit underprepared. But it's yeah, that what you think. You think. You think because you've done the long miles that you'll be fine. But. I suppose, because it was so long, a bit, such a big gap, we started to regress in our training.
2: Yeah, and it's all about, it's actually just about pacing, really. If you'd gone a bit slow at the start, you probably wouldn't have hit the wall. And if I'd gone a bit slow at the start of the, mm-hmm. that marathon, then I wouldn't have hit the wall. But it's about, um, yeah, pacing, yeah, pacing it right. Um, and if you pace it right, you'll you you you'll run the fastest time and you won't hit the wall. So it's just like a double bonus. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah you don't... It's, uh, it's more uh, a yeah, pacing and preparation rather than actually a guarantee of oh, you're going to feel horrific in the last six miles. Yeah.
1: So I'll, just, I'll just try to get loose to slow down. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, you're going to catch me. <laughs> so, Dan, see with regards to how, how many runs would you or races competitively would you do per season or per year? Per uh, year,
2: it's probably about. 20 on a on a normal year but then and actually that's a pro- mi-
0: is that like a mix of marathons and half marathons or can they race? no it i'll personal? do um
2: I, I, i'd only ever do two marathons a year um, yeah so actually out of all those races a lot of them probably be quite low-key i'm doing it for training or for a bit of just because i enjoy yeah. racing yeah um but i'll um i'll do some cross-country races some 10k some 5k's some Mm -hmm. half marathons I'll go on the track in the summer and I might race some 1500 meters but um, uh, yeah actually if you want to really perform at an event you need to prioritize that so when I'm doing a marathon then I might do some races in the build-up but I'm not preparing to race those races I'm getting ready for the marathon Mm -hmm. Um, and obviously you can't be fresh into them all the time because then you're taking away from the training as well
0: yeah yeah I that's I was going to ask. Do you do you use races as part of your training? But you can answer my question there. So that's I suppose that's a good way to keep your motivation up as well, isn't it? And keep the enjoyment in it.
2: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um and um it gives you a nice benchmark of where you're at. And yeah. um yeah, much more enjoyable than suffering, um suffering by yourself or um, you know, with your same training partner that you always run with.
0: Uh-huh. Do you do part runs?
2: I do, yeah, I do sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That
0: they're, they're, they're supposedly coming back the end of October.
2: Yeah, hopefully,
0: yeah. Uh, I hope so. I've missed it. I've missed my park run, my bacon roll, <laughs> my coffee in the Saturday morning.
2: Uh, yeah, it's, oh, it's a great initiative, park run. Yeah. Yeah. Do you run run...
1: Do you so run park runs loose. Do still run, run them. In i run in Lanark. I'm a Lanark loyal. A champion. He was a champion in Lanark in his hometown. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, uh, that's because it's only me that runs it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you, and your, you
0: and your dad alright he just walks the dog round it <laughs> right so final question then of the, the main interview Dan sorry we went a wee bit off track there so do you yeah, have sorry. any short or long term goals that you've set yourself with regards to your running career I know you kind of touched on you've got the London Marathon and stuff coming up but have you got anything else in the pipeline in terms of your goals
2: Yes. Yeah, so, yeah short term no, just under four weeks is London Marathon get a PB there Um so yeah, I've done 218. Hopefully, go a little bit quicker. We'll see. And then, longer term goal is um, is Birmingham 2022, the uh, Commonwealth Games, um, and try and make the marathon team for Wales. Um, that's the that's the more long term goal. Brilliant. Yeah. Uh, okay. How, how can we watch the marathon? Is it on the? So the marathon BBC is going to be um it's going to be on time? BBC um on on BBC One um. Uh, good good two, yeah three races you've got the um the women's race uh the men's race but i think starts about ten fifteen. then there's a um a wheelchair race as well
1: good i'll tune in for that
2: how
0: How does the pressure of being on tv like how does like the the whole marathon environment like that when it's such a big well it's obviously the most popular one in the world isn't it the london marathon
2: mm. so how, how does
0: well, that kind of impact uh, you
2: well, I've not done London before and I haven't done so I haven't done a marathon that's as big a um uh, as big a deal as that. Like and it's it's the only marathon that's going on in the world as well. So I think it'll be even have them even more publicity than it would normally. Uh-huh. Um but I mean I haven't got much too much to worry about. They won't be focusing on me. You've got um yeah. I need to Kipchoge and Kenanisa bikili at the front who are gonna be running two hours, maybe just under. Wow. Um so I um I'll just be concentrating on my own race, and actually, I'm just going to be. Look, I'll just. I'm going in with the attitude that uh, this is an amazing opportunity. There's hardly any races going on, and I've managed to get into the the elite only London Marathon. So actually, I'm just going to go, and, go and enjoy amazing. the experience and um, yeah. yeah, soak up the atmosphere. Yeah, that'll
1: be absolutely um, incredible. And would you say you're in the best shape of your life?
2: Yeah, that's the thing. I'm in the best shape of my life. So just go and give it cool all. Right? It. Yeah.
1: Good mm-hmm. luck. Good luck. Cheers.
0: Right, so at the end of our podcast, Dan, just for a wee bit of fun, we have a quick fire round of three questions, so it's just three nice quick questions for you to, to round us off nicely. So first one would be, if you could have a billboard anywhere or in your hometown, what would it say on it?
2: Uh, it would, it would it'd be something political and I probably couldn't repeat what it was <laughs> on this podcast, um, no, but I'm right. sure you can get the gist, yeah.
0: Right, got you, got you, fair enough. Okay, number two, how has a failure or apparent failure set you up for later success, or do you have a favourite failure? Uh,
2: I, did, um, uh, I did a Brighton Marathon in 2018, and I was, really, I was pretty fit. I, I, I thought I was fitter than everyone in the field, so I went off and I led from mile one, and I got caught at mile 25 and ended up coming second. Uh, but the reason I came second was because I had really bad stomach issues and had to stop in a portaloo like uh, three <laughs> times in my race. So that cost me the win. And anyway, since then I've been really good at my nutrition and I've perfected it. So actually, although it was crap at the time, uh, yeah. I did learn from it.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, you can always learn from them. you can learn from them.
2: Yeah, you can always. That's the thing. If you learn from it, it's not it's not a waste of um yeah an opportunity.
0: Yeah, I guess that's a great example there. Right, so final one then. Number three, what advice would you give to a young teenage athlete or what advice do you think they should ignore, if any?
2: I think uh, if, you, if you want to get into running or any sport, really, it's find a good coach who's going to support you, who's looking at a long-term goal and not trying to get you as into the best shape you can be now. Um, uh, and more a more uh, generic one is if you're especially for endurance sports um, – keep your hard days hard and your easy days easy. Uh, mm. And actually don't don't push every day. Don't make every day hard. You need to well polarise your training so that actually when you go out, most of the time you should just be going easy and comfy. You should be able to chat with your mates. Uh, but when it's time to do a hard session, right, it's time to do a hard session, go hard. Um, mm. And yeah, put in some quality work.
0: Yeah. It's, kind of, it's almost like you need to be disciplined for the hard days and disciplined for the easy days as well, isn't it?
2: Yeah, exactly, yeah, actually, if you want to do it properly, um, it's all about discipline and control.
1: Yeah, that's good, I like that, I've never heard that, you have to polarise your training, that's a good way to describe it, that was really good for me, good advice. Thanks. Well, I think that,
0: um, that rounds us up really nicely and a lot of good pointers in there, a lot of takeaway messages for the, the people listening, I've, I've certainly taken a lot from it, learned a lot there in that kind of short space of time, so thanks again for agreeing to do this with us today, Dan. And um, we hope this helps current teachers across the country and uh, the,
1: the next generation of teachers. So we really appreciate your time.
2: Yeah, cheers, guys. It's been great to uh, yeah, great to chat to you.
1: Yeah, thanks for chatting. I could have I could have sat here all night and spoke about running. Um, <laughs> thanks again. And we'll we'll be watching in a few weeks for your uh, performance in London. Good yeah, luck. Thanks. Cheers. Finally, see
0: before we hang up, could you give the listeners your, like where they could follow you in social media?
2: Yeah, so um, the best place to follow me is probably on Twitter. I'm reasonably vocal on Twitter. Um, I I think my my hashtag is Dan underscore Nash 94 I think if not, just Google Dan Nash. I'm sure it will come up.
1: Perfect. Um, I'm
2: wearing a GB vest in it, so it's, it's it's pretty obvious.
1: Easy, easy to spot. Perfect. Thank you very much. Uh, and then and then hopefully we'll see you in a GB vest at Birmingham 2022.
2: Yeah, a Welsh vest. Oh, best. Welsh Best, oh, sorry, that's a Welsh best. <laughs> <fun real game,
1: laughs> yeah. do not get that wrong.
2: Call,
1: your, call yourself
0: a PE teacher. <laughs> 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 so uh, what what's your
2: thoughts
0: on that episode there, Clarkway with, with Dan Nash? I thought that was superb, sharing some some really, really good in depth knowledge about his experience in running and in exercise physiology. A few a few takeaway messages there, but I'll let you go first. What was your what can kind you of stood out for you most in today's episode?
1: Uh, well, I think it was a great episode because we're well I'm certainly and I know you're as well, passionate about running and 'cause I've sat and spoke to them all night. So if I'm looking at it from a kind of cycle of analysis standpoint my um, key takeaway message from, it, from that kind of personal development plan, he said it was really, uh, one of my questions was, you know, how much does he evaluate his training? And he said that he's very analytical and he over-evaluates. But for me, that's a very positive thing because that means no stone will be left unturned in your attention to detail, you know, the stats, the, even, you know, how he's feeling. He notes it down on an Excel sheet, um, just puts an asterisk and writes a couple of notes, which then means he might need to take an extra recovery day or you know, go harder on his, his next session if he's feeling as if he's got energy to do so. So I think that's a good message for for anyone listening that, you know, you can't over-evaluate. I don't think, I think it's a, a positive um, rather than just thinking that, you know, you'll be fine and not really taking any notes on it and then taking a risk almost. So making sure that you you act on it if, you, if, you, if things aren't feeling right. And if your heart rate obviously he spoke about his heart rate as well and he's always tracking that through his watch and his uh, his belt. So you know, he he'll be hearing, he'll need to be working within certain zones during track sessions and you know, distance runs. And I'm sure that he'll be tracking the heart rate to make sure that he's operating at the right the right level so he's getting the maximum benefit of the session. So no, that would be wacky takeaway message certainly. Um what would yours be then? mr cleland
0: yeah i thought it was a lot of great information in there a lot of key takeaways that you can actually practical um strategies that you can take and apply into your own training but i really liked the bit about at the end he summed it up really nicely there and you were speaking about um evaluating your training on how you're feeling and stuff like that as well so you can get the quality in your sessions but he he said a really good phrase which was um, make your hard training sessions really hard make your easy training sessions really easy. And it's something that we can, sometimes something we, we neglect to do because it takes discipline to do to do both of them. And I already mentioned that, to to train really hard and push yourself, especially in a sport like running, takes a lot of discipline to do that. Um, and then again, if you're one of these people that thinks more is better, then on the flip side of that, on your easy days, it's going to be hard to go easy. You're going to want to get more and more and more all the time. So again, it's striking that balance and... Um, between going really hard and going really easy so that you can get the the benefit from the, the training sessions that you're putting in and also he mentioned about longevity in the sport as well so it's actually knowing when to take rest days knowing when your body needs recovery and that really helps if you have got that kind of analytical brain and you're constantly tracking the figures as well as being really in tune with your body and being able to listen to when you need a rest day and and, and need to take that extra day to recover because that's going to ultimately prevent injury and um, keep you in the sport longer, which is ultimately a good thing. So, yeah, I think that was my kind of main takeaway messages from from today's episode. But yeah, there was loads there I could I could sum it up all night and talk talk about about loads. But that was that was my, my main ones.
1: But I think the one you've said there is like when you need to polarise your training and go hard and go easy. I think that's a good life lesson. Yeah. like you can transfer that into life like you can't be or as a teacher like you can't work up, you can't go 100% out monday to friday every single period no having a period to at least sit and reflect a free period for example on what went well see if you're just constantly looking for more and more and just thinking about the next one you're not going to be learning you know it needs to be you need to be a reflective practitioner as well um so really i think that's a good that's a good life transferable life skill isn't it mm
0: mm-hmm. Aye, and it's, it's, it's interesting because it transfers through your job, through your training, through your anything you do in life, through your pastimes, all that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? There's mm-hmm. just striking that balance, I guess, is a kind of theme that's running through it. Because
1: mm-hmm. you end up burning out. It's good for your well-being. Yeah. To have those kind of easier days. Absolutely. just, just happens to be you have more than me. <laughs> As always, if you see it on Instagram, at a wee bit of everything podcast or on Twitter at Burrow under slash mister or indeed at Cliland Lewis 94. We would really appreciate it if you could give us a share or a retweet as ultimately it helps it get the podcast out there. And don't forget to be giving us a five star review because I put a lot of work and effort into this and we believe that this will also help get the podcast out there to help others So thanks again for listening and until next time, we hope you have a fantastic week wherever you are in the world. Take care.